Genesis 37 says this, verse 1. Can we read it together? I'm in the NIV. I say re read whatever Bible you're going to read. Can I get an amen for the Pharisees in the house? But it's not in the original Hebrew. Listen, don't make me go through your browsing history, homie. That wasn't in Hebrew either, okay? That's right. Turn up the crowd mics for the mix, y'all. It's going down. Genesis chapter 37. Someone just started like furiously clearing their phone history out. Oh, snaps. This altar call is going to be crazy. <laughs> Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 4. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. You know the Zilpah family here on Long Island, right? His, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, let me just stop right there. We have established very early on in the story about Joseph that Joseph was a man of integrity. Joseph didn't matter if you was related to him. If you did wrong, you was wrong. And I said was, not were, and I have an English degree. Thank you very much. You got to know the rules to break them. We is breaking them all. He had character, so much character so that he didn't go around talking about blood is thicker than water. He, he went around saying spirit is thicker than blood and we have a spiritual lineage and I don't care what you're doing. If it's wrong, I'm going to call it wrong. And he blogged about it. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he had been born to him in an old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And the King James Bible says, and he made him and he gave him a robe of many colors. We got any old school in the house? Any King James version? I got love for that. I study in the King James. Gave him a robe of many colors. Joseph was the youngest child that was born to him. Joseph was the little baby with those chunky cheeks. The ones that you want to bite and then you think to yourself, is it normal to want to bite a baby? <laughs> you know, the Fleeman baby. Every time I see those little cheeks, she keeps getting fatter and cuter. It says he made a robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him see we're taught that joseph was hated for his dream but you'll see here in scripture that before there was ever a dream he was still hated tell somebody next to you welcome to the chamber of justice Didn't that hit real nice? Did you feel the suspense? Did you feel it? Okay. You can write this down for your notes. I think this is like a very important thing that you need to understand before we get, continue to dive deeper into this text. You'll only be as big as the amount of hate you can tolerate. Let me say it for the people right here. You'll only ever be as big as the amount of hate you can facilitate. <laughs> Should I keep rhyming? 
your, your vision, your dream for your life will only be as big as your capacity for hatred. You know, for as awesome as this church is, it's certainly not a perfect church. And if you want to know the flaws, I'll give them to you on the mezzanine right when we get out of here and tell you the real deal about how God's called a whole bunch of imperfect people to display perfect love. But, but forget about the marriages being restored. Forget about the people who have reignited a passion for Christ. Forget about more than 5% of this entire nation every year continues to migrate from Christian to the category called nuns, which means they believe in nothing. They associate with nothing. Forget about the young people who are graduating youth group to go to the bar and, and they skip church altogether. Forget about the fact that here at V1 Church, we've got young people waking up at 4 a.m. instead of going to sleep at 4 a.m. All that's not enough for people to still hate on what we're doing here. And guess what? Before God ever debuted Pastor Mike and Pastor Julie to you all, he had to increase my capacity for hate because this ministry can only grow as large as my capacity for hate. And so for you, if you're asking yourself, man, why do I feel like my dream just never gets off the ground? Maybe the X factor isn't your talent or your ability to market, but it's your ability to facilitate hate. And God's not releasing a next dimension because he knows that as I increase their influence, I'll increase the hate and they can't sustain the hate. That'll preach. Am I preaching to anyone? Or something that was happening in Joseph's heart. Now, we know that his father is, you know, he's favorited by his father, right? Let's continue to read about the chamber of justice. So there's four chambers to your heart that determine the functionality. And, and, and see, it's not enough to have three out of the four. It's each chamber facilitates another uh, a function in your body. And so it's very important. So last week, if you missed it, you can go back and listen. It's the chamber of expectations. This week is the chamber of justice. And so to have an unoffendable heart, you must work on the chamber of justice in your heart. And that's what we're talking about here. So let's continue to read Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 through 10 says, Joseph had a dream. So he's already hated. Now he has a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Somebody say all the more, all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright when your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Did, do you attend, intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more, all the more because of this dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Now listen, this house is a house full of dreamers. Do I got some dreamers in the house? I mean, there's just something about V1 Church. We are the wild ones. We are the dreamers. We are the ones that believe these crazy things that have gotten us in trouble for believing. And you know, you think you would learn your lesson. Can I be vulnerable with you today? I wish, now this is, I wish somebody would have preached this message to me years ago. 
This message has incredible intrinsic value to me because I actually had to learn this one. See, some things you could just be taught and you don't really have to go through it and it can unravel this ball of yarn in your heart to the point where you just feel like it's resolved. But see, I didn't have this luxury. So if, if I were you, I'd really lean in because I just wish somebody would have told me this. Now, Joseph dreamed one dream that caused him to be hated all the more. So not only does he have a dream, but he has character. See, see, a dream without character is, is never going to really be accomplished, but a dream plus character will actually produce some problems for you. And he was hated all the more the second time he dreamed. And see, how many of you know if you're a dreamer, you can't stop dreaming? Joseph, now here's the thing about some of you. I sense a lot of confusion. I've been sensing a lot of confusion. You know, V1 Church, the leadership of this church, we teach them how to be certain in an uncertain world. I think that's what becomes so attractional about a place where you say, no matter how much chaos is going on, I can go to this place where there's a level of certainty in an uncertain world. All leadership is the gift of certainty to someone else. That's, you can tattoo that on your face. There are days where I wanna come into the office mad. There's days where I want to come in frustrated. There's days where I want to go off on my wife. And I did once this year, once in 2018. But the gift that leaders give is the gift of consistency because we understand that our feelings are not our compass. We're guided by dreams that were given, not dreams that were created. See, Joseph was given these dreams it's hard not to talk about the things you're given, right? I mean, think about Christmas. You wake up. I mean, that's the first thing that you want to tell someone. Man, look what, listen what I got. My church bought me a car. So glad I left Indiana. <laughs> the chamber of justice. Favor ain't fair. But you know, Joseph kept dreaming and he kept talking about his dreams and, the, and even talking about them in the wrong circles got him in trouble. And some of you need to know that you are gifted. You are called. Listen, you are here by divine appointment to hear these words. I'm saying now that you are not too far gone. You are not too old. You are not too young. God has got a destiny and a plan for your life. And maybe you've got Joseph's brothers at your house who don't know how to hear the dream and metabolize it right, but they're offended. And see, just being the true you will offend somebody. See, if you're a duplicate, you can go to another duplicate for duplication. But if you're an original, you've got to go back to the originator. And see, I struggled with this sermon for years in my own personal life because I was like, who can I go to? They don't really get me. This guy's like me, but not in this area. This woman understands, but she's still a woman and I'm a man. This guy understands this. And I literally ping-ponged in literally like in life, just in the pinball machine of life, trying to find a mentor and somebody to counsel me through. And as I continue my journey, I find out, yes, God in his mercy will provide those people, but they're never going to get it 100% because if you are a duplicate, you can be duplicated by a duplicate. But if you're an originator, you, you got to go to the originator. And if you're called to create something new and you're the originator, you've got to go to the great originator. And see, for me, I finally got to this point where I realized I just had this epiphany preparing this message. So wait a second. I was driving past cornfields every day 
not knowing that God's ultimate destiny was for me to launch a church on Long Island, New York. No wonder nobody ever understood me. I wasn't like them. My future, my destiny wasn't their future and destiny. So if you don't learn this lesson that it's actually not loneliness, it's redirection, you're going to miss your future. Can I just say it one more time? It's not loneliness. It's miss. It's, it's what redirection. It's not loneliness. It's redirection. I mean, there are different seasons in my life where God was scaling people back and scaling resources back and, and just taking things off and out and moving it all around. And I'm like, God, in my nakedness, how could this possibly be your will? He said, well, I'm taking you back to the garden where I cover you, where I clothe you, where I provide for you where everything that you have, you understand that it truly is mine because I took everything away or allowed it to be taken away. See, as Christians, even smart Christians believe some dumb things. And we believe in our bad theology that God would never lead us into a dark season. I submit to you, Job. God didn't do it, but he certainly allowed it, didn't he? I submit to you, Joseph. God didn't do it. His brothers engineered his demise. But God said, what you meant for harm, I will turn it around for Joseph's good. And so God's not going to do it to you. He didn't do it to you in your past. So stop being so mad and offended at God. In the chamber of justice, you're saying, God, why'd you let my mom die of cancer? In the chamber of justice, you're saying, God, why did you have to make me go through a childhood of poverty and lack and want? In the chamber, the diseased chamber of justice, you're saying, God, why did I go through the divorce? And God's saying, no, no, I didn't do it to you. But I knew it was going to happen. And I prepared a way for you to be delivered and free. And what the enemy meant for your harm, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. In your finite, pea-sized dog brain, you'll never understand it. Because you're just sniffing and hunting down the trail of your instincts. But beyond your biology and beyond your instincts and beyond you meeting your superficial needs, there's a deeper need of your soul. And I am going to work it all around for your good. And so much of, much of us are caught up in this instinctual life. Feed, eat, sleep, fart, eat. And when I look at Joseph's life, he had this dream before he was a leader. He had this dream before he had his stuff together. He was a cocky 17-year-old. God says, you're going through a process, but when you come out on the other side, I'm going to make you fit to lead in a position that nobody of your race would ever even be given the permission to lead in. That's deep. Maybe you're going through the process right now. I sense a weariness and a confusion that I'm speaking to now because as you go through life, you can have one good day of weather and it makes you angrier instead of making you happy, right? That's how wounded people talk. Oh yeah, now we get a nice day. What about that day when I had to do all this stuff, right? You come in and greet somebody at church, but they're already hurting and weary from life. Oh, yeah, now you say hi. What about last week? Right? And hurt people are stuck in that cycle. And this is the chamber of justice. It says this. After he tells his second dream, his father, as well as his brothers, and then his father rebuked him, the one that he had favor with, his OG from the past, his boy that was never going to leave him, rebuked him too. How many of you know 
that you're going to get to a place in life if you express a God dream enough, the one, the one that's given, not the one that's created, to the point where even the people who you thought never would betray you will rebuke you and betray you. Can we go to the school of the real today? Okay, no putting out fronts today. Number one, character produces competition. Character produces competition. You know, it's like most people in life don't want to do right. They want to be perceived as doing right. Who said that? (laughs) See, as I've pastored people and mentored them, there's a different standard at each level you sign up for. We're going to get ready to do V1 college because we're going to raise pastors up in this house. Okay. Now, when I get into your business, you'll think you want to be perceived. That's what I've, a lot of people want to be perceived as they do right. But when I go in with the microscope, we'll see, we'll see character produces competition. And and the thing is that you've got to learn how to deal with, with this because see right now, when you're Mikey from Jersey shore fist pumping, you don't, you don't have competition with your boys. It's a brotherhood. Oh, yeah, man, did you see that chick? Did you see this? Did you see that? Oh, yeah, man, check this girl out. Oh, yeah, look at this. Oh, man, did you see? It's like when you have no character, you have very little competition. But as your character increases, so is the level of competition in your life. Can I take us to school today? There are going to be some people in your home. when You're going to go back and tell your family, man, I found this place called V1 Church. I'm on a journey. I don't have it figured out. I haven't memorized the whole Bible. But, man, I'm getting better. And you know what they're going to say? Who do you think you are, you self-righteous? You probably already experienced that. He's like somebody. He read my text. And the same people that you think would support you on this journey of growth will compete with you. Because you think you're better. Oh, you lost 10 pounds? You're still ugly. You can't lose ugly. These are all things that I hear all week, okay? (laughs) Number two, dreams produce division. Dreams, God dreams actually produce division. People aren't intimidated by dreamers. You know who they're intimidated by? Doers. Now, you start doing the dream God gave you, and there's going to be a measure of division. Jesus actually came and he said, the gospel that I'm preaching, this message I'm preaching is going to actually produce division. It's going to separate families. We got to expect that. Why do you think you feel such a sense of unity when you get in this house? You know what's at stake? This might be the only welcome somebody got all week. There has to be something supernatural in this place because God dreams produce division. And so you'll only be as big as the amount of hate that you can tolerate and facilitate in your life. You know, there's this famous businessman out of Chicago, ended up being an international businessman. His name's C.B. Hedstrom. And actually earlier in his life, he was kind of like a, a, a teenage era of his life. His mother, had, who was a single mother, had gotten this debilitating disease and she was bedridden. And as the oldest son, he actually took the responsibility to go out and work. And the job that he had found in Chicago was selling shoes. And when he was selling shoes, um, now mind you, I want to give you a parallel to the story because it's a cool supernatural thing. How did I find out about this story is 
When I was 17 years old, my mom was actually in Masonic Hospital in Chicago with tumors and cysts, and she was bedridden, and she was uh, a single mom, and I actually got a job at the Hammond uh, Filtration Plant at, at 16 and 17 years old. I made 31000 a year, which I thought I was a baller, but you could pay all your bills in the hood off of that. And I was going through a really hard time because I, I was like, man, I shouldn't have this responsibility. I shouldn't be raising my family. Like, where are these dads at? And why is my mom still not getting better? And, and why can't she go back to work? And I was wrestling. And do you know, I actually climbed up into the, uh, the kind of attic of our house. And as I was in the attic of our house, and I was actually looking for some stuff I stored, some magazines and stuff. Did you know that between the joists and the ceiling, I found this book stashed in there. I pulled it out, and it was an old, dusty book. And I begin to read the first chapter of the book, and this is the story that it told. And, and I just want to just bring you into the supernatural dimension about how when you have a God dream on your life, He is faithful to speak to you at every juncture, okay? So that's the backstory of what I was going through when I found this book. And the book's called Payday Someday. It's very difficult to find it in publication because C.B. Hedstrom was alive in the 20s and 30s and 40s. So he's this famous business leader, but you go back to the story of his teens, and actually what you find is that he was at the shoe store, and it was customary because of culture that women wanted to have smaller shoe sizes. It was more feminine to have a smaller foot. So if you were in the shoe sales business and she wore a size 14, hello, that's all right. We still are right. I sh- you would just say you'd come out and they would use chalk and they would change the number to like seven or whatever. And it was sort of this complimentary thing to be like, you have this dainty feminine foot that is stupid because it probably wouldn't work if it was a size three. Right. You know, culture has a way of messing up with gender norms and all that. But that was the, the, the typical thing at their time was to sort of twist it. And the reason why I even say this is because as a man of integrity, he said, I'm a Christian and I refuse to change the shoe size to suit this woman. I'm going to tell her what she really wears because that's what's right. And he was fired. And and, and as he was fired, he came home. And when he came home to his bedridden mother, he's the only source of income, and told the story. She said, listen, CB, we may not have butter for our bread, And we may eat meat less often, but I have a son who serves the Lord. Therefore, I have everything. And you know, I I read that story at 17 years old while I was battling with what it was like to try to lead my family at that era and and fill a spot I shouldn't have filled. And God was so faithful in that moment. And I continue to read on. and, And this is where integrity became a brand of my heart. Because all of a sudden, CB tells a story that years later, that shoe store comes under new management. And the new management says, we need somebody of integrity to run this store. And as he's, as he's putting that message out among the workers, they all start a joke. And they said, you should hire CB because he's got so much integrity that we act, they, he got fired for not lying to change the shoe size. And you know what? That boss said, you know what? Call him in here. So CB gets the the word and he comes down and all of a sudden he's in that meeting and he starts to beg for his shoe salesman job back please just give me that lower level job we're in a hard spot again I just need this job and the boss says CB I don't think you understand why you're really here we're not giving you the job as the shoe salesman back we want you to run this entire place and he was restored to run the entire thing just like Joseph a microcosm for Joseph you see 
It's not enough to have a dream. Everyone nowadays tells you to have a dream. But when you have character, you'll understand that that character produces competition, that that character produces division, and that even talking will produce transgression. And like, what is transgression? You know, when you read Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, it says this, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. And the Hebrew for calamity actually means anguish and distress. So when you guard your mouth, when you know who to say what to, when you know how to refrain, it will actually guard you. See, CB didn't say, you guys thus say it the Lord and bring down lightning bolts and fire and retaliate and respond in offense. CB said, you know what? I'm gonna go home and tell my mom the story and then I'm gonna talk to the only person that matters in this equation. I'm gonna talk to my God. And some of you would be better suited to do less talking and more praying. Because let me tell you what the word transgression means in the biblical sense. You know, there's a difference between the dotted line and the double line, am I right? The dotted line on the road gives you permission to change lanes. But the double line means if you cross the double line, you're gonna be pulled over and there's gonna be a ticket because if you stay on the other side of the double line for too long, it's gonna kill you. You might be on the other side of the double line and you're looking and you're seeing a clear lane and you're saying, this rule is ridiculous. This boundary is stupid. I haven't seen a car on the other side of this double line in a long time. Does somebody know where I'm going with this? There's a difference between the dotted line and the double line. And some of you don't understand transgression means don't cross the double line. It's gonna save you from calamity and it's gonna save you from distress. We've got to guard our soul from distress and anguish. De-stress by talking less. You know, there's been some times in my life where I'm like, I don't understand. You know, I, I've got to go to this person and explain every single nuance of what I'm going through. I've got to unload it. I've got to, it's going to cause me to de-stress by talking more. And except for as a believer, my ratio of how much I've talked to my heavenly father, the one who can change and do it all versus the one that I talked to my earthly brother is so disproportionate that my stress increases as I remind myself of my problem. Because a lot of what we're doing isn't getting it out we're regurgitating it and so when you eat the vomit over and over again the reason why dogs eat vomit is because they have such a keen sense of smell that they can actually smell the bits of real undigested food inside the vomit so the reason why dogs go back to their vomit is because they believe in their brain that there is enough sustenance to justify eating it so if you're here and you find yourself just regurgitating the same conversations, going around the mountain over and over again, you're, you're justifying in yourself. There's some morsel in this vomit that's justifiable for me to go back to it over and over again. And God's saying, end the cycle now and just begin to speak to me. Come on the other side of the double line. Stay in the lane of safety. Did you know that there is a way that is justifiable to anyone? It's called the wide road. It's the way where you can intellectualize and justify anything. But there's another road. It's a small, thin road. This is the gospel. It's a road that Joseph his family didn't understand when he had a God dream. It was a road that only he had to walk. It was a road that his, that his pastor
pastor didn't understand, a road that his best friend didn't understand. And there are going to be roads that you got to walk on that are narrow roads where you say, though none go with, with me, yet will I follow. And that's the road that God's calling some of you to walk today. The road of the unoffendable heart where you say, I'm sorry if you don't understand, but God's called me to a God dream. I'm not a duplicate getting duplicated by a duplicate. God's called me to do something original. I'm not apologizing for it. You can throw me in a well and splash blood on my coat and tell dad I've been murdered, but I belong to my heavenly father. And it doesn't matter what you do. You know, this morning, it was four in the morning and I'm walking, see my daughter, See, people aren't intimidated by you having a dream. It's when you start doing the dream that it starts to create some friction. And we got a church of doers in this house. I mean, waking up and saying, God, the first fruits of my week, it's yours. Everything I've got, giving it back. And it's beginning to be contagious with my 11-year-old daughter, Bella. And Bella last night said, Dad, Dad, can I please go to load in? And in that moment, man, I looked her in the eyes and I said, I've still got a long way to go. I've still got a long way to grow. I still got a lot of things messed up with me, but I have pushed and given my all to the point where as the man of my house, my 11 year old daughter is begging me to wake up early to go to church. And if I died after she asked me that question, I would consider my life a success. If nothing else ever happened and this church never grew one more person, I'd say if my daughter wants to come to the house of God, I have considered myself a success. But but wait, we begin to walk down the street. So I woke her up this morning and she popped up and she said, Dad, I woke up at one o'clock and then 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And I couldn't wait for you to say it was 4 a.m. And there's starting to be a zeal. See, the Bible says, let there be a zeal for God's house. You know what I'm saying? And so all of a sudden we begin to walk down the street. And as we were walking down the street in Queens, we lived down the street from the bar. And listen, there ain't nothing wrong with bars. God ain't trying to take your bars away. All right? This isn't an, I'm not, this isn't like, I'm indicting you for alcohol. Don't, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say. But I want to say this, as we were walking, it was like 4.30 in the morning, close to five in the morning. And we begin to walk to go get our car and we walk past the, the bar. And, uh, you know, people at that time, they're gone, man. Let me just be honest, you know? Bible says drink, but don't be drunk. Y'all, those, those people were drunk, you know what I'm saying? Let's just be real. Not the Christian buzz, we like to call it. I'm talking about the sinner drunk. That's the stages. <laughs> and so they're yelling at each other, talking. And my daughter, Bella, she's like, Dad, what are they doing? Now, mind you, I used to be that dude outside the bar at that time. While Julie was at home praying, Jesus, bring him home and take the wheel because he's an idiot. And I don't know why I'm persistent with him. Look at me now. <laughs> but all of a sudden, she said, Dad, what are those guys doing? I said, you know what, Bella? They're writing their testimony. She said, what? I said, they're writing their testimony. 
because they don't know it yet, but they live down the street from me and it's impossible to be close to me and not end up hearing about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And they don't know it, but I know it, that they're a testimony in the making and it doesn't matter what it looks like now, but they're gonna get ready to get drunk on a new wine and that Jesus prophesied about. Come on. And that's what this church is always gonna be. Somebody who's either telling a testimony or somebody who's writing one. I said this church is always gonna be somebody telling a testimony or somebody writing one. We don't kick people while they're down because they might be your leader here one day. Somebody's about to get free. Do I have a Joseph in the house who says I might be in prison right now, but I'm on my way to the palace. It might not look like it to my family who doesn't understand why I love Jesus so much. It might not look like it to my boss who I have to ask so I can get off of work to go to church, but I'm on my way to the palace. Would you stand to your feet with me and just start running all over this place? <laughs> you have my permission to exhibit the freedom of the Holy Spirit here. All right, last thing, last thing. The reason why we talk so much is because we believe that we are judge and jury and we've got to make it right. But can I just submit to you the idea that God has got your back and he is gonna make the wrongs right? I mean, if you guys go back and listen to the podcast, the pastor that did me so wrong, I mean, the one that literally forsake, he called me and said, I am so proud of you. I can't believe you've excelled through all that garbage and I'm sorry. And you know what? I laughed after I got off the phone because I said the ironic thing is when you let God become your defender, he will heal you to the point where you don't even need the apology when it comes to you. I said, bro, I forgave you a long time ago. This conversation isn't the icing on the cake. It's not even the cherry on top of the icing because God's got me. Why don't you look to someone next to you and say, God's got me. Come on, turn to that other person you ignored and say, God's got me. You see how that feels? I used to beg. God, please send me somebody who will finance the vision. God, please send somebody who will correct and rebuke and mention. And God sent all those things, but he sent them after I said, God, you do what only you can do. And I believe that Joseph had to learn that lesson. God stripped him down and said, I am the judge and I'm the jury. And I got you, Joseph, I got you. And sometimes the only way to get you to your destiny is such a narrow road, you'd never go on it if he gave you the plan. Oh God, show me what's next. You wouldn't do it. My wife won't take a needle in her arm to give blood if she was dying, okay? I mean, that's one of the scariest events in life for her. If she knew that a life-saving procedure was gonna involve a needle, she'd never let him do it. If you knew that what God's gonna call you through is gonna have some pain along the way, you might not do it. So he does this, this thing called sovereignty, where he says, I know that you don't know, but I still know. Thank God for sovereignty. Thank God that he looked at Joseph's life and said, Joseph, and I told, if I gave you the good part of the dream, I gave you the ending, but if I'd have given you the beginning and the middle, you would have aborted plan. 
And some of you here are so hyped up on the end of the dream. Let me give you the beginning and the middle. Integrity, character, rebuke, being forsaken, misunderstood, nobody believing you. That's the beginning and the middle of the story, okay? You got the ending. God already gave you the ending. Let me give you the beginning and the middle now. Submission, raising your hands, praying when you don't feel like you should pray, crying out when you don't want to cry out anymore, fasting when you're ready to eat some more food because Long Island makes the best food. Amen. That's what it looks like. The beginning and the middle says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there because I choose to go higher. Is there a church here that is ready? that is ready for the beginning and the middle. Because if you'll say yes to the beginning and the middle, God will give you the end. Oh man, I gotta listen to this again this week because I needed it, man. This week was hard. But the devil is defeated and we're getting ready to pray this thing out. I wanna do this. We had a handful of people last service who accepted Jesus for the very first time. Now, I want to say something. If you've accepted the Jesus of the church you were raised in that was hanging up on a cross and never came down off that cross and whooped the butt of death, hell, and grave, you may not have accepted the real Jesus, okay? If you've accepted the Jesus that your parents wanted you to accept so that you'd go through their program and prove that you could still be a part of the family and just like use their Wi-Fi, and live in their house, so you had to go through the program, you may not have accepted Jesus as your Lord, which just basically means you're in charge, master. And this is an invitation to say, I want that Jesus in my life. The real Jesus, the risen King, the one that's helping Mike to be a better husband and dad and pastor this church and, and the, the Jesus that's helping Kiel just sing her guts out and Aaron shred a guitar and the Jesus that's helping Keith run pro presenter and lead his family. And I want that Jesus. I'm gonna just say, let's just leave our eyes open and make a public decision now. You know, I mean, I, I like to create private moments when we need that, but this is a public faith. So get ready, it's a narrow road. You might have to post about it on your Facebook. <laughs> you might have to unfriend somebody. So if you're here and you're saying, I want that Jesus in my life, would you boldly, before everyone else, just slip up a hand and say, I want that Jesus today? Come on, come on. <laughs> Praise God, you can put your hands down. That's it, that's it. So here's what we're gonna do, church family. We're gonna pray this thing out. We're gonna de-stress by talking less and praying more. We're gonna just talk to our Heavenly Father right now. And you can use my words. And then when we're done with this prayer, for the people who raised their hand and said, I want Jesus. If you're here and you've been in the game for a long time, but you need to renew a right spirit within you. You know, my pastor back home used to do this every single Sunday. And I was the executive pastor. And there was, it was a large mega church. And every week I prayed this prayer. And I can't tell you how many weeks I just started to cry as I prayed it because I said, Lord, you know, I needed to seal it in my heart once again. The Bible talks about renewing the joy of your salvation. You could have been saved 50 years and after this prayer is done I believe a bubble will begin to come up in you and say wow it's like I just got saved for the first time am I at a Billy Graham revival no you are at the bearded Billy Graham revival <laughs> so we're gonna pray that God would do this are you guys with me 
Are you ready to have an unoffendable heart? Can we have an unoffendable church? What a sign in the middle of Long Island to have an unoffendable church. Would that not preach louder than anything else we could do? You can't offend those people. I called them every name. I dissed everything they held sacred and they were unoffendable. That'll preach out here. So let's pray, okay? Everyone say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Renew a right spirit in me. Father, I thank you for the dream. It's your dream. I'm gonna have character. I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna walk the narrow road and believe that you've got me and all things are possible because you love me. You love me. Come on, somebody say, you love me. And because you love me, I win. In Jesus' name, somebody shout out loud. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.